1: Hello, Texas, and thank you for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Jessica Dommel, sitting in for Carrie Martin. We're part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley.
2: New diagnostic technology for beef cattle to determine antibiotic usage. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today.
3: The Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show is about to kick off, and the opening day has a special opportunity for farmers to gain some knowledge and some CEUs. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today.
2: As temperatures continue to drop somewhat in central Texas, the winter wheat planting continues in the fields of the region. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today.
1: We'll have those stories, news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. Cotton harvest has been progressing well across Texas and other cotton-growing states. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey joins us with more.
4: We saw another rapid week of harvesting for the cotton crop. As of November 21st, three-quarters of the U.S. cotton acreage has been harvested. That is four percentage points ahead of the five-year average of 71 percent, one point behind last year's 76 percent on this date.
1: Ten states recorded double-digit cotton harvest progress for the week that ended November
4: 21st. Two of them, Kansas and South Carolina, we're at 15% for the week or higher. There was just very little rain. We had some warm days.
1: U.S. cotton harvest pace is now ahead of the five year average.
4: After a season that featured so much clouds and developmental delays, and then initially some harvest delays, but everything's back on track now. Even some of those slower southeastern areas have made up tremendous progress. According to
1: USDA, 70% of the cotton grown in Texas has been harvested already, up nine points from the five-year average. 15% of the cotton crop in Texas is rated excellent, 43% is rated good, 37% is fair, and 5% is rated very poor to poor. Peanut harvest is also underway in Texas and other peanut-producing states. USDA's meteorologist Brad Rippey joins us again with an update.
4: 92% complete by November 21st, almost up to the five-year average pace of 93%. It's right on par with last year at this time, 92%. Seven of the eight states have moved to within one percentage point of their normal harvest pace or are ahead of that, meaning that they're at or ahead of, of the average pace. The only state still languishing a bit, Is South Carolina, 84% of the peanuts harvested, five-year average there is 90%. Florida leads the country in peanut harvest progress, 99% right on par with the five-year average.
1: 79% of peanut harvest in Texas is completed. 18% of that crop is rated excellent. 58% is rated good. 23% is rated fair. And 5% is rated very poor to poor. Registration has opened up for the 2022 Commodity Classic in New Orleans, Louisiana. Commodity Classic is an annual showcase of agricultural technology, crop production science, marketing intelligence, and farm innovation. The 2022 event will be March 10th through the 12th. For more, visit commodityclassic.com. After a year off due to COVID, the Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show is back. James Hunt joins us from Amarillo with that story.
3: The Amarillo Farm and Ranch Show is Tuesday, November 30th through Thursday, December 2nd at the Amarillo Civic Center. And on the show's opening day, Texas A&M AgriLife is conducting a CEU workshop with five continuing education units for pesticide applicators being offered. The event is again on Tuesday from 8.45 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Civic Center's Grand Plaza Room. Among the presenters will be AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell who has special information for farmers who are getting into silage production.
5: I'm going to be discussing
1: herbicide use in corn and sorghum silage and when we talk about our herbicides in a forage crop it's really important for producers to be looking at the label and make sure that just because a herbicide is labeled for the grain crop it is also labeled for that silage crop and since we have increase silage acres i think that that's a really important consideration for producers to always remember read the label the label is the law and we want to make sure that we are
5: using the appropriate herbicides for our forage crops
3: other presenters at the workshop will be discussing topics such as weed control for grain sorghum and insect control for cotton corn and sorghum there will also be a panel discussion on specialty crops and a presentation on state agriculture department rules and regulations Cost to attend Tuesday's workshop is $60, and for planning purposes, AgriLife is requesting an RSVP. More information about the workshop, including how to submit your RSVP in advance, can be found online by using these search words. Amarillo Farm Show CEU Workshop. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: The agribusiness industry continues to find new ways to protect livestock. Tom Nicoletti joins us with that report.
2: My guest today is Dr. Justin Welsh. He is the U.S. Livestock Technical Services Lead with Merck Animal Health. And Dr. Welsh, three years ago, Merck Animal Health and AllFlex Livestock Intelligence uh, combined their efforts and they integrated somewhat uh, to uh, provide more technology for livestock producers. Uh, beef cattle, dairy, and uh, swine producers have technology out there that they can utilize to help protect their livestock. Tell us
5: about the latest. Yeah, one of the latest things we have, uh, one of the first products that we're bringing to market, is called Whisper on Arrival. And that's focused on the beef cattle industry right now, where we have, Tom, literally a stethoscope. Just like what you and I would uh, get applied to us as we, when we go into a doctor's office. A calf, when he arrives at a feed yard, a stalker operation, this is applied to him. And not only does it listen to their lungs, but a number of other data points. And in the end, makes a decision. Does he need antibiotics or not? And what we found initially with our initial research is, is that depending on the risk level of these calves, we can decrease the antibiotic use by anywhere from 11 to 45% on arrival. We work with their veterinarian to, to make decisions around how we use it, number one, but it's shoot side it's delivered to the animal by the producer. It's, it's uh, got a paddle, it keeps her hands out of the chute. And one of the challenges we had to start with is time. We know people like to be efficient in how they process uh, this product to 8 to 10 seconds per animal, and we get a decision back, really is a red light, green light. Do they need an antibiotic or not is according to the stethoscope. That again is Dr. Justin Welsh with Merck Animal Health. I'm Tom
2: Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: And Tom Nicoletti joins us again with a report from Central Texas.
2: Dr. Shane McClellan is uh, reporting for us there from Waco. And uh, Shane, uh, let's start with uh, some weather news uh, in Central Texas. An early light frost uh, occurred in uh, Waco in the Central Texas area. Talk about what happened there.
6: We did have a light frost November 5th, the, the morning of November 5th. Not a killing frost, but it was a surprise to some people that were out and about, you know, six thirty, seven 7 o'clock that morning to see some frost on the windshields and on plants. It is time of year to have a frost. Our, our typical frost date does come in early November. I think on the calendar, it might say November 22nd. But here recently in the last few years, I'm, I'm used to seeing a frost early November. So you better be careful, watch the weather if you need to bring those susceptible plants
2: in, inside
6: to protect them.
2: Watching the weather for some rain because uh, the region could use some precipitation, too.
6: Really could. We're not in horrible shape. There is some deep soil moisture, not a lot of topsoil moisture. Those producers that are planting any kind of a cool season annual, slinging that out, they really need a rain to to help get the ryegrass, some of those things for grazing up.
2: Winter wheat is uh, currently being planted for grain purposes, so those farmers are, are looking at the weather constantly.
6: Absolutely. With the, the grain that's going in now, we'll be harvested for the seed, for the grain, and that's mostly wheat in our area. We'll typically have about 48,000 acres of wheat planted in McLennan County. They'll continue to plant wheat Probably until the 1st of December if the weather uh, stays dry. We do have, like I said, some, some deeper soil moisture that can help get some of that wheat
2: seed up. Meanwhile, for livestock producers, uh, the early wheat, winter wheat and oats uh, that uh, was planted uh, is, uh, is coming up now.
6: It is. They started planting that grain late September, early October. It's had a few rains on it, a few showers, some lighter rains, not a lot of big rain. You know, push the seed down lower in that soil profile. Just enough moisture to kind of get those up. It's not big enough yet to allow for much grazing. But if we could get a rain, a timely rain soon, then then we sure could start grazing uh, after
2: Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, cotton farmers continue harvesting their crop uh, here in uh, the middle of November.
6: We've got some cotton producers that are totally through. They're complete. Uh, they've already cleaned off their equipment and put it up, then others are, are still in the thick of it. Cotton yields still are good. Quality is good. We've had a few moisture events that we kind of worried about bringing the quality down, but uh, lint quality is good, and, and price is definitely favorable. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Tom. Have a good day.
2: That is Dr. Shane McClellan. He is reporting for us today from Waco.
1: Experts say if you're looking for a real Christmas tree this year, it's best to shop early. USDA's Gary Crawford joins us with more.
7: Last year, partly because of the pandemic, we saw far more people going out to buy a real Christmas tree, some for the first time. It's
1: the first time we've ever cut our own Christmas tree, yeah. So I've never had a real tree in my whole life, and my boyfriend
4: always has, so we came to get a real tree together. So it was so
7: cool. So cool, yes, and many tree lots and farms sold out of trees, which hardly ever happens. So what about this year?
4: I think it will look a lot like last year.
7: Oh, Tim O'Connor helps run the National Christmas Tree Association. He told us that tree supplies will be limited, so his advice to us...
4: Get out there and shop early. The later you wait, the smaller the inventory will be that's available. And maybe
2: even the place you choose to shop first would be sold out if you wait too long, and yet we uh, anticipate everyone who wants a tree will find one.
7: Just might take a little more hunting, a little more money,
2: too. In the neighborhood of a 10% price increase this year.
7: This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
1: The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is urging Texans, specifically those in a chronic wasting disease zone, to properly dispose of unused deer carcass parts. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more on that coming up next on Texas Ag Today. And infrared thermography potentially decreases antibiotic usage in cattle. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will have that story for us. Don't go anywhere. It's coming up next here on Texas Ag Today.
0: we're keeping you informed on everything happening in texas agriculture on texas ag today
1: texas tech university is hoping to use infrared thermography to decrease the use of antibiotics in cattle texas veterinarian dr
7: bob judd joins us with more thermography has been used for years to diagnose inflammation in tissues and this is determined due to the amount of radiation in the tissue. Infrared technology is now being used in areas of cybersecurity, medicine, and weather, and we are likely all familiar with infrared technology, as this is a method used to determine a person's temperature when scanned on the forehead. Dr. Kristen Hales from Texas Tech is hoping to use this same technology to determine which calves have an increased temperature when in the chute. Those with increased temperatures likely should be treated with antibiotics, while those without temperature increase may not need to be treated. This reduces the amount of antibiotics used in cattle and hopefully decreases the amount of antibiotic resistance that is occurring. Until now, infrared technology has not been used to determine calves' temperature, but this study will use it as a real-time shoot-side management strategy and have it validated, proving it is effective. Although the temperature can be taken with a thermometer, This method is much slower and more invasive than the infrared method. The goal is to develop a management plan to treat the calves that need to be treated on arrival at a feedlot or a stalker operation and not treat the ones that are healthy. At this time, all calves are treated with antibiotics when they arrive at the feedlot or stocker operation, and some may not need to be treated, which can result in increased resistance and increased cost. If you have any topics you would like to hear on our program, contact me at texvet at txfb.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: If you bag a deer this season, be sure to properly dispose of the unused parts after harvesting it. Mitch Lockwood, Big Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, said this is important to help prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease.
4: There's a lot of hunters like myself who process the deer. When we get done, what do you do with those carcass parts? Hunters who have a little bit of acreage, it's not uncommon for them to discard those those unused parts out on their back 40 per se. As we're learning more about this disease, we realize that's really not the best idea. Now, a lot of us have done that over the years, but ideally, the best way to dispose of that carcass is go ahead and bag up and freeze those unused parts. And then just on trash day, I let the trash man pick them up and, and take them to a the
1: landfill. Chronic wasting disease is a fatal neurological disease that affects members of the deer family. It is spread by direct contact with an infected animal or indirectly through contact with infected items in the environment. Deer infected with CWD spread prions through their saliva, urine or feces, blood, or soft antler material into the environment. These prions in the environment may infect other susceptible animals for years to come. For this reason, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has established quarantine and surveillance zones in areas of the state where animals have tested positive for CWD. There are CWD zones in the following areas, the Trans-Pecos, South Central, and Panhandle, and in the following counties, Kimball, Valverde, Hunt, and Lubbock. If you harvest a deer within a CWD zone, you must take it to a CWD check station within 48 hours of harvest to be tested. Most commodity markets opened lower on Friday. We'll take a look at how the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets closed out the day coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
2: Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck, and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to oli.org for info.
0: We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Despite
1: opening lower on Friday, the cattle complex rebounded and ended up closing higher for most contracts. December live cattle up 20 cents to 138.10. February live cattle up 32 cents to 141.20. April feeder cattle down a nickel to 143.85. January feeder cattle up 22 cents to 167.15. March feeder cattle up 7 cents to 167.97, April feeder cattle up 7 cents to 169.87. Boxed beef was mixed on Friday, choice up $1.4 to $280.15, select down 96 cents to $262.15. Lean hogs closed lower on Friday due to a lackluster export report from the US Department of Agriculture. December lean hogs down $2.22 to 73.20. February lean hogs down $3.22 to 81.02. There was no trading for Class Three milk on Friday. They had a short trading week due to the Thanksgiving holiday. November Class Three milk closed up a penny to seventeen ninety-five a hundredweight. Again, that's from Wednesday. Uh, December Class Three milk on that same day up a penny to eighteen thirty-two a hundredweight. March cotton down four hundred points to a dollar eleven. May cotton down four hundred and seventeen points to a dollar nine. December 22 cotton down 199 points to 89.77. Analysts say those steep drops are due to fears of the new COVID variant that was reportedly found in Africa and the uncertainty that comes with having a new variant. Those declines come despite a good export report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture this week. Corn started out lower on Friday but ended the day higher, December corn up seven to five eighty six and three quarters, March corn up six and a quarter to five ninety-one and three quarters, September corn up five and a half to five seventy two and a quarter. That all on the USDA's export report, which was good this week for corn. Despite tight world supplies and increasing drought in the southwestern United States, hard red wheat closed lower on Friday. December hard red wheat down eight and a quarter to 865. March hard red wheat down eight to 869. July hard red wheat down eight and a half to 848 and three quarters. January soybeans down 13 and three quarters to 1252 and three quarters. Analysts say. Traders are questioning soybean demand globally since export sales were down this week. December natural gas up 48 cents to 555. January natural gas up 38 cents to 549. Crude oil fell $10 a barrel Friday, the largest one day drop since April of 2022. Analysts say that's due to fears of that new COVID variant. January crude oil down $10.22 to $68.17 a barrel. February crude oil down $9.94 to $67.87 a barrel. The financial markets were also struck by the news of the new COVID variant in Africa. They closed sharply lower Friday. The Dow down 905 points to 34,899 The S&P 500 down 106 points to 4,594. The NASDAQ down 353 points to 15,491. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thank you for listening and we hope you tune in next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel and I hope to see you then.